Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Parent and Caregiver Voices Project. This podcast and video series features parents and caregivers with lived experience taking care of children with medical, developmental, and behavioral conditions. Each episode also features an interviewer who is an expert in caregiver well-being. Today, we will hear from Denise, who is the caregiver of a child who was born with complex medical needs, including an seal and a cardiac condition. Dr. Jocelyn Kenowitz, a pediatric psychologist at Nemours Children's Health, and a member of the Caregiver Wellbeing Special Interest Group of the Society of Pediatric Psychology. We'll be talking with Denise today about her experiences with finding and using social support after her daughter was born. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jocelyn Kenowitz. I am a pediatric psychologist in the Cardiac Center at Morris Children's Health in Delaware. I am so excited and honored um, to be joined by one of our amazing parents, caregivers, Denise, who I'm going to let share a little bit more about herself and her daughter. Hi, my name is Denise Avila. I am the mother to a little girl named Maya. She is a two-year-old now, but she was born with a giant emphalocele and cardiac defects. She had a large BSD, small ASD. Her heart kind of worked backwards. She was originally supposed to go to the NICU when she was born. The emphalocele contained her liver, small intestine, gallbladder, part of the stomach. And I think that was all. And I always say that like, you know, it's no big deal. <laughs> yes. And um, as I've gotten to know you, Denise, I know too that you have had to navigate the ins and outs of multiple hospitalizations, um, multiple outpatient appointments, different specialty providers, and um, in addition to that, developmental support for Maya too. So you have become an expert in supporting Maya's needs and advocating for her and um, I'm just really excited to hear a little bit more about your experience. And I know today we're going to focus a little bit on, on social support in the context of all this, but you have really become an expert in living your life while advocating for Maya, getting to all these appointments, and um, creating a happy and healthy childhood for her, even with all this going on. So I know... I know you're going to have so many wonderful things to share, and I'm, I'm excited to, to send those out to the world a little bit. It's definitely a different world than I expected to be in. Um, I learned so much. Obviously, you met me at the beginning of like her second hospitalization. I was very too empathetic. I was very emotional about everything going on. I hated everybody. And I think I had told you that at the beginning, I was pumping. Um, that was like one of the few things that I could do for her at that time. So she was always attached to the monitors, but I was very much like in a shell. I never left her hospital room. Um, I didn't talk to anyone. I hated the nurses. I hated the doctors. And I was just like not in a great place because when you don't have anyone to share, and anyone to talk to about it that really like understands where you are. It's not easy to conversate with anyone else that you might know because they don't get it. They're going through normal developmental issues with their kids 
or like a regular doctor's visit just for shots versus you where you're like, hey, my daughter can't get out respiratory support. She's not eating orally. She's just getting fed through like NG tubes. You can't bond with a lot of other parents over things like that. And yeah, I think I think you started off with some really good points in that you're in this world. It sounds like you're in this world alone, right? And it's a really lonely place to be. And tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like part of this experience was I can't relate to the people I used to be able to relate to. Or I couldn't relate to anyone. Mm, you couldn't relate to anyone? I couldn't relate to anyone. Um, mainly because Maya, as I mentioned, she was born with the giant emphysema and then the cardiac defects as well. I couldn't bond with either kind of groups that I would find completely because a lot of the children within a cardiac wing are definitely going through harder things. Like I learned as time went on that her defects were more like a scraped knee compared to a lot of the other issues that most of the kids in the unit faced. But she was exclusively like a cardiac wing kid because her heart is so important versus trying to bond with other like unfallacial parents where I just couldn't bond. I couldn't relate because all I knew was like the cardiac wing. And for them, a lot of their kids have like terrible respiratory issues versus me where I was in this very like middle place and I just couldn't find anyone to like relate to. So it always felt so alone. Like I could bond with someone, but only to an extent. And I know your, I know your family is also a big part of your life. And um, because of, of COVID going on throughout this, I know they, uh, they really couldn't be at the hospital throughout this, but you would talk to them a lot. Um, they were present throughout so much of this. What was support like for them or, or what was that experience like for you in terms of trying to navigate those relationships with your family while you were going through all of this? What did you, what did you feel like you needed from them during that time? And what was that like for you? At that time, it was really hard to figure out what I needed because what I needed couldn't be offered to me. Because unfortunately, Maya's worst peak like of her health was actually during the pandemic. So then I was alone, like utterly alone. The only people that really could offer support were the nurses, the staff, the only people that saw everything that she went through. And like they knew what I was going through. Um, my family her dad, just a lot of people like couldn't really offer me any support. And I mean, they can try, people on the outside can always try to like give you support, but they can't fully support you in the way that you need because they don't know and they can't see. So hopefully no one else goes through a pandemic issue like this because yeah um how did you and so it you know the other thing I think you're you're speaking so well to is that there's a lot of like invisible 
stuff going on, right? There's a lot of things other people can't see or understand partially because they're not in that experience with you. They couldn't be physically present. And so having other people grasp what that's like, right? Then it becomes on you to try and explain that to other people. And I imagine that also comes with a whole host of things trying to ask for what you need, explain what it's like to your family and friends. Um, right. That becomes a whole other thing. Yes, a lot of trauma. When you're trying to explain it to family and to friends about like what's going on, they're constantly asking. And I actually had this conversation with another mom that I met in the cardiac wing that family is always asking, like, where are they? How are things going? Where's her health? And they do it out of like a caring place. But for you, it's just, it becomes something so frustrating because to an extent it starts to feel like, God, can anyone just like for a moment, pretend that she's normal? Mm. Or can you just ask me like how she's doing lately versus asking me about everything going on with her health or any setbacks she might be having? Sometimes you just don't want to talk about it in the moment. Like first you have to finish feeling everything, going through it, processing it. And then that's when like you're able to share with others so that they can kind of understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But for me, a lot of, I guess the support when it came to people approaching me about anything going on at that time, it was Maya's dad. He would constantly just kind of give updates to our friends and stuff. But he would be like, you know, she's not in a place where she really wants to talk about it. She doesn't really want to share. So baby's doing fine. If you guys talk to her, you know, just, I don't know, have a normal conversation with her. But even then, a lot of friends don't know how to cope with it. So then they won't send you a message because they're afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing or they feel like they can't relate to you so badly that they, they're just gonna say the wrong thing. Yeah. So that sort of gets to one of my next questions, which was about, you know, what should we as psychologists or mental health providers or other, other people providing support to caregivers know about how to help caregivers navigate or how to help support them through these different kinds of situations. And it sounds like one of the things that was helpful for you was sort of um, triaging all that stuff to her dad, like saying, okay, you're the person that gives, I'm going to give you the update. And then he spreads the word. But then also it sounds like having conversations outside of Maya's medical needs was something you really needed. And I think that's something so good for me to learn too, this idea of like, when I walk into a room, it doesn't always need to be what's the medical update, what's going on, right? You're a human in front of me that has lots of things to your identity and who you are in your day. And I think we that's really important for us to recognize that you are Maya's mom, but you're also a lot more things too. And those things are really important to who you are. Yes, but also sometimes even just making the parents feel like parents. 
like normal parents, not like medical parents or medical caregivers all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just to be able to feel a little bit of a sense of what's normal to other children. Like for instance, how's the baby been today? Is he extra fussy? Instead of asking, you know, what's the heart rate? What's his blood pressure? What's it looking like? Just something a little more, I don't know, personal? Yeah. I would phrase it like that. I think it makes a lot of sense, Um, right? Like if you were to ask another friend, how their baby was doing, you wouldn't be asking about their heart rate or blood pressure, right? You say, exactly, right? Um, You would say like, how's sleep going? Or what do you guys, what toys do they like to play with? What's their favorite song right now? Um, Okay. I think that's so helpful. And I think that's so important because it's so easy to get lost in all of the medical stuff. And I think like you were saying, right? the social support around that is, is you sort of had these two opposite experiences going on. Either people would just sort of not ask you at all, or they would only focus on the medical stuff, right? And so people on the outside offer you, they think it's sympathy, but it feels like pity. Mm. And I feel like a lot of parents close themselves off, like a lot of caregivers to medical children close themselves off for that same reason, that it starts to feel a little more like they're having pity on you versus being sympathetic, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So how did, how did you get through all of that? Like how how did you move through that really difficult phase of feeling like it was hard to relate to people or the social support shifted so much than what it had been, you know, pre-Maya. How, where are things now? How did you move through that phase? Tell, tell us about that process. Well, it's weird, but in Maya's like longest hospital stay, which was her seven months, about 252 days, exactly. During that stay, I associated more with the nurses I would talk to the staff you would check in on me my social worker Emily would check in on me Mm -hmm. so everyone would check in but it was just the kind of checking in that people do as friends it wasn't so much like a medical check-in or maybe partially Mm -hmm. but it was like like a mental health check-in um do you want to go grab something we can stay here do you want to take a walk real quick? Do you want to pump in a private room instead of being in there? Um, but slowly things started to shift. Like, I feel like during that time, obviously, again, the doors were closed to the public. So I only talked to people within the hospital. And I just started leaving my daughter's room a little bit more often. I started taking a small little break, like when I would go when I would leave, I'd go grab something to eat downstairs, but it was just, I would take my time walking versus trying to rush back because I knew she was fine. It's, I guess, realizing that you do have that kind of village in a hospital instead of being afraid the whole time to like leave their side. Like it's okay to take a breather. It's okay Mm -hmm. to take some alone time. It's all right to go home and sleep in your bed for one night. 
And then those kinds of changes all just kind of start to add up. And at some point you just become like one with everything, which is kind of what I felt. I just became one with everything. I feel like I accepted it. I accepted, you know, this was my life. This is what happened. This is my version of motherhood, which I think is also one of the hardest things for people to accept when they're in this situation. If they're newborn, whether it's their firstborn or their thirdborn, the experience is very different because for both, you lose a sense of motherhood, especially like the one you expected. First time, first time moms, we definitely lose a lot, especially like if you were like me, where you had a birth plan, you had everything set in, in stone in your head. Ultimately, when everything shifts, you just don't know how to adapt. So it takes us a lot longer to adapt to those kinds of changes. Mm -hmm. Same with a mother that's like her third born. This is a whole new world that she doesn't know. So she's used to the motherhood she's had versus what she's been handed now. And I say it all the time. I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, I'm a medical mom. If I have another child and it's normal, I'm not going to know what to do with that. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you're not checking weights. You're not feeding, like learning how to place feeding tubes. You're not having to weigh diapers, nothing. It's just so different. Yeah. But I think as you start to accept kind of like the cards you're handed, you just, you just learn to accept it and be one with it. I'm very, very relaxed. If anything, one thing that I did want to start offering like two caregivers and I've discussed it a little bit with some people like at the hospital, it's just like letting parents interact more with each other, mm -hmm. which I know is hard because some parents are very closed off and it's just, they don't want to talk to anyone. But I feel like when they start to open up to another parent that kind of understands their differences, it's just so much easier because you feel like you're not alone. Like you can have all your friends that support you. But until you're talking to someone that ultimately like really understands. It's just you're not going to feel that same kind of support. Yeah. So, you you know, you mentioned talking to other parents on the unit um, and or meeting people throughout the hospital. Um, and it, it sounds like that. It, you know, from a social support perspective, you were able to get different things than you could from others who weren't in the same position as you, right? Even yeah. if, even if, I know you mentioned earlier, like you were sort of in between worlds with what was going on with Maya, but there was still something about communicating with other parents who had children with medical needs was really meaningful for you. Yes. I was considered a plant in the unit. That's what the nurses would refer to me as. Oh boy. I was a plant because if I had the chance to run into other parents, I would talk to them. I enjoyed talking to them just because it was, you could A, have normal conversation depending on what kind of parent they were, or two, you could discuss like your kids. And it was kind of nice, the running into parents 
feeds that like social interaction of the medical parenting. And then just, some, I'm a little too social. And so I talk to everyone. We're talking custodians. I talk to the cafeteria staff, the desk people at all the entrances. And they offered normal conversations, like personal conversations versus just focusing on the medical aspect of everything. So I feel like getting a balance of both really helps like your mental health as a caregiver. I'm hearing that word normal a lot from you, uh, right? Like normal conversations, normal interactions. And again, right, that question for me and other people in my position or those who wanna learn more about supporting caregivers, right? That is such valuable information because not only can we be those people, I think, to try and have some of those conversations outside of medical care, but I think that also lends itself to us being able to support caregivers about where can you get that kind of interaction, right? Are there groups available at the hospital? Are there groups available outside of the hospital, right? Like we can be advocates now that we know more about that um, to help caregivers get some of that kind of interaction that they need. Uh, um, and that is, sounds like it was so helpful for you. Is, is there anything else that you think someone like me should know or, or someone who supports caregivers should know about how to support caregivers around social support themselves? Like, are there ways that we can help caregivers navigate that world or ask for what they need? How can we do a better job at that? I want to say it's the approach. Okay. It's I mean, not, I mean, not necessarily like you guys are doing or approaching the parents in the wrong way. You know, it's just to be able to kind of bond with the parents and get them to be a little more open or feel like they're getting the kind of social support that they need. You have to be a little bit more of like a chameleon. Okay. You adapt to the kind of person you're around so that they may open up a little bit more as to what they need and support. Because not all of us are the same. Um, me, sometimes I feel like I am a rare breed. I adapted in a way that I feel like so many parents still struggle with sometimes. But it's just, it takes time. Um, time processing. I feel like it's so important for parents to realize that they do have the kind of like emotional support. One from like you guys, you're not just asking them questions to potentially like write things in their, I guess, like in their charts or figure out if like they're mentally stable. I feel like some parents do fear that God forbid they open up and they become like, they seem emotionally unstable will they take your kid from you? Mm. Which was also like a fear I had for a very long time. Um, at the beginning, I feared that they would take, like the state or something would take her away because God forbid I was unfit. And I overstressed myself with 
the thought of them taking her away. So then I would like anxiously deep clean everything. And I was just right there, right there, right there. Just because I didn't realize that you don't necessarily have to obsess over everything to be a fit parent for a medical kid. But it's definitely like, it's different. I feel like there may be more parents that don't talk about it, that they do have a similar fear that I did. Um, as time went on, though, I realized that that is definitely not the case, that I was a very, very fit mom. Um, a lot of people, reassurance, reassurance, oh my God, reassuring a parent in like, a, I guess like it comes off personally instead of just like a little cold doctory manner if it's so much more personal where you're kind of like congratulating them for learning something or getting a grasp on something it just feels so good like I could place an ng tube probably with my eyes closed but it was something that took me forever to be okay with because it scared the life out of me um I do also know that a lot of parents don't always spend as much time in the hospital as I did. So it can be harder to offer them the kind of support that is offered to most of us if you are there. Those parents, that's the one that I wouldn't know exactly how to reach out to them. I mean, the phone is one way, but not necessarily gonna get a call back or the phone answered. But just, I guess, like, really just hanging around <laughs> and coming around and just kind of being there, it helps for the parents to open up to you guys. And that kind of opens the door, the first door to them being more open to, like, emotional support from the staffs, psychologists, family, friends. Mm -hmm but it's one of the more important steps. Yeah. We need to be plants too, right? Just hanging, hanging around. Yes, yeah. that's so, how I learn so much about people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Denise, you said that a lot of things changed for you when you uh, like accepted, became one with, with things that were going on, right? Like, like it just sort of, they all sort of felt into place in terms of like your identity as a caregiver, um, your identity outside of being a caregiver, right? Understanding Maya's needs. When, when you got to that place, do you think it changed the kind of social support that you needed or the kind of social support that was helpful for you at that time? Um, or did it feel like it was you could relate to people in a different way once you got to that place or or did that not change things for you I think once I accepted my role and it was like it became my it became my whole role um it, and it still kind of is like being mm -hmm. a caregiver for her it actually like consumed my life so that's something that I am dealing with now because that's all I really am. And that's kind of what people just see you as from then on. 
like it's constant just you and the child taking care of the baby doing the doctor's visit um the kind of support I think you look for definitely changes one I have a therapist so that's something that I never had aside from you <laughs> um I think getting someone to talk to outside of your regular circle really helps because they know you for who you've become, not who you were. And it's the same thing with kind of like your friends and family, once they really realize that like you're not that person that you were before the child or before becoming a caregiver in this manner, it just starts to change because then they also start to change their approach to you. It just takes time. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. Yeah. Um, thank you, Denise, for sharing all of your wisdom and expertise um, and more about Maya with us. I think you have left me and I know everyone hopefully watching this with a lot of things to think about in terms of helping caregivers navigate this world that they have found themselves in and what it's like to then navigate social support with friends and family, other people in the hospital, right? Staff, parents, it, it really becomes a whole new process and world. And I think, you know, we have learned so much from you now about how to approach that and how to support that because it sounds like that was a huge part of your experience, right? Working through all those different stages with family, friends, other parents, again, all, the, all those people involved in your life at that time and now. Um, so I know I, I know I learned a lot. So thank you for sharing all that with us. I think the other thing that um, I want to end on and that stood out to me so much was you, you said before, I had to find my version of motherhood. And I cannot tell you how much that hit me, right? Your version of motherhood was this, right? This amazing process that you went through, this like vulnerable, amazing, I think really difficult process. Traumatic is the word we Traumat like. Traumatic, thank you for coming, <laughs> right? Um, that really sort of is different than other people in your life or other people that you've met. And I think, at, you know, in someone in my role and, and again, other people involved in this, being able to support everyone's versions of motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood, being a caregiver, yeah. um, is, that was an incredibly, I think, thoughtful and powerful thing to say. So I, I wrote it down as you were talking because I wanted to come back to that because that just stuck, that really just stood out to me so much. Um, I think that's the hardest part that a lot of caregivers, like especially new caregivers, go through. They have to figure out their version of motherhood, fatherhood, like you said, parenthood, caregiverhood, all of it. It just, everything you've ever possibly imagined goes out the window. And that's the first thing that 
I feel like a lot of families, caregivers, families just need support with the fact that they have to work through the first part of it all before they can even face like what's at hand in front of them. So first you have to deal with the traumas leading up to this child and then the trauma that follows once they're here. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your pearls of wisdom. So appreciated as usual. Um, and I think, I don't know, I've learned so much. So thank you again for your time, for sharing all of your stories with us. And I know everyone's gonna learn a lot from you. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Parent and Caregiver Wellbeing Project. Please like and subscribe to this channel for more. You can find more information about the Caregiver Wellbeing Special Interest Group and the Center for Pediatric Psychology in the links in our show notes. You can also follow the Caregiver Wellbeing account on Instagram to stay connected and get more information on parent and caregiver wellbeing. You can find us by searching at Caregiver Wellbeing SPP. Thanks to you for listening today and a major thanks to our guests.